all the same. Welcome to Talent Tales, the show where I interview leaders who have brought design thinking to their talent and HR practices. Today is a special Talent Tales where we will discuss design thinking for HR in 2022, predictions, practices, and pitfalls. And who best to do that with than previous Talent Tales guests? Welcome back to the show, Angela Howard, Chief People Officer at Dober. Alice Goni, Chief People Officer at Catchco, and Steph Ryder, Creative Culture Leader at Arity. Woohoo! Welcome back, ladies. Thank you. All right, so excited to have you all back. Let's let's start um, with a little intro round because I'm curious to learn about where your design thinking journey has taken you since we since you last were on the Talent Tales show. So why don't we start with Alice. Alice, when we talked, you were at Centro um, and we talked about how you apply design thinking to HR strategy and employee experience. You wanna tell us a little bit where the journey has taken you since then? Yeah, absolutely. So um, on Talent Tales, yeah, I was still at Centro um, and it was a company of about 600. They're at seven or eight now. And, um, and so the conversation was around kind of a more mature um, mid-sized company and a larger HR team. So since then, I've actually been, this is my, I've been at two companies. Um, so I went to a smaller startup from Centro, really uh, put the design thinking there to kind of build the entire HR function. And then really recently, about two, two three months ago, joined Ketchco similar uh, in the smaller startup, but already had kind of a foundation. So now it's design thinking on a, um, not, a not a total build, not a mature build, but right in between. So um, lots of good experience since we last chatted. Yeah, I love that. So we'll get from you like an experience of different maturity levels of design thinking in HR and different sizes of companies. That's really cool. Okay, yeah. so welcome. So let's go to Angela. So Angela, when you were on the show last, you were heading up employee experience at Kaiser Permanente. Where has your design thinking journey taken you since then? Yeah, well, hello everybody. Um, thanks for joining. Uh, yeah, so I was at Kaiser Permanente helping lead up their talent and culture team and employee experience team. And since then, I've made an intentional move to more small and mid-sized businesses. I felt like uh, I had an opportunity to really have a seat at the table to see culture change and culture transformation happen. And so I recent, well, not recently, it's been about two years, I joined a um, mid-sized family-owned um, chemistry and technology company, helping them build out their HR team, heading up HR, but really focusing on culture change. And I have also... Um, my future uh, work is going to be around starting my own business, uh, around how you oh, actually yeah. operationalize culture change through design thinking. So I'm happy to talk about those two things in parallel. Wow. Also, <laughs> lots of changes happened. Yes. And then, yeah. And what about you, Steph? So when we talked on Talent Tales, you were and still are the creative culture leader at Arity. And we talked about empathy, the role of empathy in design thinking. Yes, yeah, so I, it's five years going strong here at our company. And I think, you know, if I had to think about what changed, empathy doesn't change. Um, it's still a key focus um, for what we're trying to do. And even, you know, if I think about where we are in this world and everything has changed, you know, we used to have an office, we're 100% remote. So even if our office opens up like that is not the same case. So if you think about where we are, 
what, how are we thinking about employees and employee wellness and what's their perspective like in, in their home office, but then what's the experience like as we bring on new employees. And I know back in the day, we did a design thinking workshop with Nicole, where we looked at the employee experience on the first day, but now their first day isn't in a physical space. Mm-hmm. The first day is somewhere across the world. And so, you know, we want to take a look at like, how do we revamp that? And um, we've already started doing some of that work at the end of last year and hoping to start implementing some of that in this year. So happy to share a little bit about that. Yeah, that's so interesting what we did then, you know, all in person experiences and how much has changed. So I'm sure we'll get into that today as well. So um, I want to start with the questions and the questions are a combination of what I'm curious about, as well as some of the questions that were submitted by participants uh, beforehand. And um, to everybody who's joining, please also put additional questions in the chat and we'll get to them at the end of the show. All right, so let's get started. Uh, and let's talk about practices. Okay. Um, in what ways have you applied design thinking to engage talent as we navigate the pandemic? Who wants to take a stab at it? Steph? I can share. Um, probably the biggest tool because we're remote is using Mural. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Mural, but it's such a great way to collaborate it um, with more than just you know, brainstorming or mind mapping for ourselves, but actually involving a lot of other people and having their ideas out there. And, you know, we had thought about, um, I mentioned our employee experience when you're remote and you had to like really take a step back and think about what did we, what was that current state? Like, what did we come from and where do we want to go to? And until you map that out, you kind of start forgetting some of those little things of, how you feel when you walk into the office or who's greeting you. Do you have a buddy there? Does somebody there to meet you and have breakfast with you? And now when you're remote, we're like, well, how would you replicate that? Or would we still replicate that? And then being able to have different people's ideas behind it. um, You know, sometimes there's just things that you wouldn't even expect because one, we're collaborating virtually, but then seeing everybody doing it all at the same time is really fascinating um, and being able to use that tool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Anybody else? Angela? Yeah, so two things that we uh, did at Dover where we had to make a really quick pivot. One was we launched our first uh, leadership development program, which was planned to be all in person. So the actual process of redesigning that curriculum to work um, online took a lot of intention and reevaluation of the experience. So one of the things which I actually I'm kind of glad it happened because it it, it forced us to focus on other things that are really important to uh, learning, like community building, right? So now that we were all online, we could actually all get together and build community. We have people in different countries. If this would have all been in person, we would have we wouldn't have had that opportunity to create community as a unit. And so that's one of the things we had to do was we uh, had to bring everything online, redo the experience, redesign it, but it gave us an opportunity to create a closer knit community. And then the second thing is surveys and listening um, and instilling capability in our leaders to ask the right questions so that they can design the experience and get feedback from their team so we could better serve them through the pandemic in real time. 
yeah that's so interesting and, and it's like finding ways to stay close to each other and sometimes there was this you know initial concern if you're all virtual remote high and now hybrid that we can't create communities so it's sort of this creative challenge that you took on to say hey let's kind of think differently about how we might actually get closer and, and be creative about it. Alice, how about yeah, you? Yeah, I think um, Angela said the word in, intention. I'm not sure which form you said mm. it, but you said intention somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I think that's my word of the last few years <laughs> is intention. Yeah. And it's a lot of the mm. conversations I have with leaders around like everything that we do now from, from that space of HR people or leadership is really intentional. And whether it's hybrid or remote, like those, those little things that we took for granted, like Steph mentioned of that feeling of being in the office, were just natural and organic. And now it's our job to make those things still happen, but they don't happen without being really intentional and like mm -hmm. doing things socially that, you know, like prompting people to get together and really kind of over communicating in a way that we never had to do when it was all in person. So in, intention is a word that just keeps coming up of being really intentional around the tools we're using, being really intentional around the communication that, that's going out so people read it. Um, so just like in, <laughs> intention is my pandemic or just life now word. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that because we have to make so many choices. There are so many decisions we have to make. It feels like even more than than ever before, right? So uh, if you don't prioritize, if you're not intentional about it, it can get really overwhelming. And we know there has been the phenomenon, not surprisingly, of burnout among HR for just <laughs> that reason, right? So even more important to be very intentional about where we where we can create the biggest impact, right? Um, yeah, so let, it, yep, go I'm ahead. Sorry. No, go <laughs> ahead. Yeah. Um, it's also been... Um, like the intention comes around because it's uh, so much more difficult to engage employees because they can, mm. you know, in a world where if there was a happy hour, it's like, sure, I'll stay because I already have childcare set up or I already have this schedule. And now it's when you're engaging with people in this new world, it's do I go grocery shopping or do I hang out at this happy hour with my coworker? So it's mm -hmm. like, again, those points of where you engage get even more difficult. So thinking through that has become an interesting strategy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, so a question I get all the time talking about practices is um, how do you get started with introducing design thinking to HR? Who has thoughts on that? Who has experimented with that and can share lessons learned? <laughs> yes, yeah, shares. Um, yeah. You know, at, at Arity, we'd, we've used it in the past. And even if it wasn't perfect, I think it's okay. If you just took elements of it, you know, like empathy, you know, you're getting employees feedback. You want to make sure that they feel heard, right? Even if you didn't mind map it in a great, you know, uh, mural board or a PowerPoint, but if you're doing the principles and the practices, I think you have to give yourself grace in knowing you're, you're probably using the right uh, way to think about it in the right tools. And mm. even if you're prototyping, that's kind of your MVP, right? As I think about the culture, we talk about like products that my team makes. A lot of them were based on feedback from our employees. Um, you know, for example, um, you know, if, if people are saying we want to find ways to connect and learn together um, on a monthly basis, well, that's what we have. It's called Learn Day. It's the first Friday of every month, but that was based on employee feedback. 
mm-hmm. even though this product exists, we still ask for feedback on it because, um, you know, just like any other app, there's always like a software update, right? There's always an iteration or there's something we need to tweak. And so it's important to ask our folks, like now this is different. We used to do it in person. Now we do it virtual. Um, is it still meeting your needs? And if it's not, well, what do we need to do to enhance it, to make sure it stays relevant? And so, you know, if you look at the things you create as products um, and how do you make sure every product is relevant, um, I think that will be key in like, you know, success in the things that you're doing. Yeah, and it's so interesting. It's sometimes you don't have to use the end-to-end design thinking process or methods. Sometimes you don't even have to call it that. I'm very pragmatic and and then I always think about, you know, who's my audience and how do I need to package things? And sometimes um, not naming the newest method or whatever, right, is the way to package things. So it sounds like that's a little bit what you did. You, you in essence said, hey, let's just listen to our employees and see if things are still resonating. And you didn't say, hey, let's, let's do design thinking. That's a strategy. Yeah. Angela or Alice, do you have anything, any thoughts? Yeah, Angela. Yeah, I think um, about introducing it to HR. I mean, I, I head up HR, so you know, thankfully, you know, have some influence as to what the department looks like. Uh-huh. But if I think about since my time at Kaiser Permanente and how we used it there, I really think it's it's about understanding your audience um, and using personas, uh, thinking about everybody as a stakeholder, and really taking the time to break down the motivations, the aspirations, the, the human experience of the people you're working with. And, and that doesn't have to be in a, a formal persona, you know, like template or uh, Excel document, but it's having the conversation and taking that opportunity before a change process or before you implement something. And, and also layering the element of diversity um, and inclusion into the process. So are we including the right personas, the right people with the right experiences, ensuring we're having diverse perspectives in the room. And so I, you know, I always kind of cringe when people talk about DE&I as like the separate strategy, like, oh, it's over here. We've got culture and employee experience and DE&I, we got to focus on that separately. It's all integrated. And we really have to think about differences and diversity in the context of culture change, employee experience. It's, it's, a, it's a method of getting the best ideas and the, the most creativity and the most innovation to get the best results. So true. I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's what I've been saying for a long time, that if we're creating employee experience or if we really want to make an impact in DEI, we need to change our programs, processes, and policies with that lens, right? Uh, and the employee experience also, among other things, with that lens, instead of creating just more silos, because guess what? The employees are not thinking in HR silos. Employees are thinking from their experience. And I think that's the biggest shift I think that we're gonna see in HR. How can we bridge all these silos we've created and we know why the Ulrich model and efficiency effectiveness, right? There was a place and a time for that, but now we're in the time of employees and the employees are not viewing their experience by the way HR is structured, (laughs) period. (laughs) Alice, do you wanna weigh in? Yeah, I was, um, Angela, it, it all just resonated, so I went off mute, but um, the, uh, 
I still, from Talent Tales, I think I was talking about a similar thing. I still do it with my team. So introducing it to an HR. I've had an opportunity now to have two new teams in the last, you know, two and a half, three years. So it's been an education. It's been a wonderful way to educate. And I do specifically kind of have my spreadsheet framework. So I like on the back end, you know, the, the employees don't necessarily see it, but on the back end, I love my spreadsheet. And it has kind of each employee, each step of the employee experience from when a, a track through all the way to transition out or around or when the life cycle starts over. Um, and in that note, if you can imagine a spreadsheet, right, so you have all your columns, um, how it has evolved over the past few years is that diversity and inclusion aspect is across the entire Uh spreadsheet right and so it's not a a separate column of experience and that's been really helpful for me in educating other people on my HR team or people or employees Uh who are really involved in the culture of like how we're approaching it and how it lives in every piece of the experience and the goal is to make sure we're always checking in to see that there's something there and that we're improving it if it's not working and that we're building really the foundational knowledge to make sure that that we're an inclusive environment like we want to be, but um, that really resonated even in spreadsheet format, um, kind of across the across all the columns. And I love that because sometimes that's sometimes that's what we do in design thinking. We have these artifacts that we use, right? And some of them are visual, some of them are Excel sheets. Why not, right? But to align everybody and for people to see how things connect and map and things like that. So um, I love that. Okay, so let's move on to pitfalls. And again, the audience, if you have any questions, please put them in the chat. So from practices to pitfalls, uh, let's get real here, all right? So what are the main pitfalls you have encountered in implementing design thinking? Real talk, Angela. (laughs) Yeah, I can, um, you know, it's always good to be vulnerable in a space like this because, you know, things do happen and we have to learn from experience. It's always a learning opportunity, right? But, you know, I think we, me personally, I oftentimes struggle with, um, you know, the executive stakeholders (laughs) because, um, you know, as, as uh, HR professionals, as HR leaders, you know, we are really, we consider ourselves the experts in the space. And, um, you know, we're, we're doing two things. We're educating the executive team, we're educating leaders, but we're also like, we know the answer, you know? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's always like we're trying to inch them closer, but we're like, oh, my gosh, I could just move so much faster if we just did this this thing. So I move fast. I love to say, all right, we're going to go. Let's go. Um, and I'm more focused on, like, the employee stakeholders because that is those are my peeps. Those are the folks that I'm looking to to make an impact to. But you have to remember the owners of the business, the founders of the business, the executives, the folks who are either going to create barriers for you or support you. And you really do need that support. Um, So I think when it comes to design thinking, you know, I'm oftentimes so focused on designing for the people. And I think you also have to take the time to design and manage up and make sure your stakeholder process, your personas, because, oh, by the way, your executive team is not one persona. It's like everyone's a different persona because they all have different agendas. So it's just so, it's so intricate. It's, it's a lot of fun, but it's oftentimes a pitfall pitfall for me that I continue to to learn and, and work with. 
And it's so interesting because, yeah, in, in essence, they are not only a stakeholder, they are also a user, right? So, or a segment or persona, if you will, even though there are multiple on the executive team. But what's so interesting is how critical the leadership as a segment or persona is because every time at least I map an employee experience, a key stakeholder in almost every step of the employee experience is the direct manager, for example. And I know that's taken at a level down to leadership, right? So, uh, and then, so in some processes or projects, then I even actually map the experience for that manager. Instead of them just being a stakeholder, what if we map their experience? Because then we can learn why they might not be doing what we want them to do sometimes <laughs> because they have pain points and needs and desires as well, right? So I, I found that helps with that. But I, yeah, I definitely appreciate and see this as a pitfall. Steph or Alice, do you have any additional pitfalls, Steph? Oh, I think that what you're just said, that perspective of like, what's the executive's journey like? What, you know, I, I guess I never really thought of it in that way. And that's like, that's huge. Um, you know, I think my, me and my team and we, you know, we know like <laughs> what, what it is and we know that there's stakeholders and sometimes it's like you end up in a staff meeting and you have 15 minutes to explain what you're trying to do and you're like an, an agenda item and how do we become more than just an agenda item mm. and um, it's just interesting like when I, you know, think about what we need to do different. And we recognize that we have to evolve. We have to challenge ourselves. We have to be different leaders in this new world. And so, but we have to do that first before we can ask anyone else to do it. Mm. And think about how much quicker we had to do that, especially in the time that we are. And so now, you know, what I remember asking like our leader last year, I'm like, so have you, you thought about like culture in a different way? Cause you know, you changed our jobs a little bit cause we have no physical space. And so the value proposition is different, huh? I never really thought about that. That's a, that's really good. I should, I should ponder that. And that was like a key to me. I'm like, okay, I have some work to do. Um, and it's like, Hey, we trust you. Right. Andrew, like we trust you. We know you're going to figure it out, but it's like, but I need you with me in that journey. And I think that's going to, that's, that's, even though we have a good relationship with our senior leadership team, that's still always, I think going to be an obstacle because what they're thinking about is the business, the sales, what's the return of investment. And what we're saying and thinking is, you want that is you got to take care of your people and we have to figure out a better way to connect the dots for them and not in a way that's um, what, what, you know, uh, fluffy in their terms, but mm -hmm. showing them if you actually care to connect with your people, especially because they're remote and you don't know all these people that are new, then they will have a reason to come to your company to stay here. And I think somebody said something like, should I go shopping or should I go to the happy hour? right? They'll want to go to your happy hour. I'll just have food delivered to me <laughs> because I have a stake in wanting to be here with you because the leader knows who I am. My people know, you know, my people that I work with and I know people in other departments, mm -hmm. right? So like, I think you nailed something there. Like there's something in my, in my gap is like, I got to figure that out. And, and then I think it's that next level down, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And so let's actually talk a little bit about also getting real here, you know, Design thinking can cure everything that ails us in organizations and in HR. I actually just wrote a uh, LinkedIn post about that, you know, when and when not to use design thinking and sort of a decision tree. And that question actually came up from the audience as well. When is design thinking an approach we want to use in HR and when is it not? 
any thoughts on that? Alice? I, I don't know if I have a an example of not using it at all. So mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. might not answer the question, but I think all everything that Steph and Angela were just saying, like made me think about it. it there's a, an element of like balance and realism that has to be factored in from the perspective of like, you can create the best employee experience ever on paper and in your heart and you can preach it as much as you want. Um, but if you have, if it doesn't connect or it doesn't mm -hmm. match like the full embodiment of your culture, right. Then it's just, people just get frustrated with the, with the mismatch. So for me, like, again, sorry, this doesn't answer the question, but um, I think there's always going to be design thinking, but then that kind of extra stuff is how do you make sure that it's realistic? And sometimes that can be like a difficult conversation with leadership of here's what, what the best people experience would look like here's what I think that we actually want to adopt. And like, can we consciously talk about this and understand that we're not ready for the best best, right? And we're here and this is going to get us on the path. But it's just that like realism of not, not having such high expectations that it doesn't connect immediately with your leaders or the people there and really kind of having a path to greatness. Because um, sometimes it can, it can, you know, feel like you just want it want to be the best place to work and give it everything. But again, if there's disconnect and we haven't had the time to educate or get the stakeholder buy-in or those types of things, it becomes disconnected. So mm -hmm. I don't, again, totally didn't answer that question because I yeah. don't know when you wouldn't use it if it's foundational, but um, that's like an added step to that of make sure it matches like where you are in that moment as a culture. No, that's design thinking. You reframed my question. And so... <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, I'll just go with it because I'm sure somebody else was wondering about that. But Angela and Mike, so what do you want to add, Angela? Yeah, so I wanted to add, I think that's a great perspective. And, and the, the term that came to mind for me was meet people where they are. Um, you know, I was at Dober, we are working on an office transformation. So we haven't gone all remote, but we've decided we're going to create a space where people want to show up. Right. That's a I think that there's a wave of um, uh, a movement happening around the work of the office being a collaboration space, you know, a space where people go to meet, collaborate, learn versus, you know, you're shutting your door and working on spreadsheets. You can do that at home. Uh, so what can you get from an office that you can't get from home? And in this process, we were you know, I was thinking, oh, you know, we're going to, you know, have a fitness area and like all the cool things from an employee experience perspective you think people want. And then you survey and they're like, actually, I just want good lighting. Uh, the music's too loud. I really want to just be able to get a beverage. It's like basic needs, you know, and that just, you know, kind of woke me up to like my lived experiences, my preferences versus the audience I'm working with. I'm working with warehouse people and, um, you know, folks who are on the bottling line and chemists and, you know, they want different things. And so I think you really, it goes back to that listening and meeting people where they are and realizing that you may be in a totally different place and that's okay, but you have to meet people where they are. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and just so follow up on, on my question. So Emily posted in the chat and, and just asked the follow up, you know, when it's hard to imagine when not to use it. So check out my article because <laughs> I literally, I drafted a decision tree if you want to get really scientific and let me give me feedback on that. Um, but so 
so in general, where, where I'm, and I'm still working through that, so I'm just going to share my perspective real quick on that, is design thinking really shines when we want to tackle ill-defined, big, wicked problems. So if you have a straightforward decision to make, a straightforward problem where there's really an easy or just one answer, um, design thinking is not the way to go. Like business as usual think that, right? Another example is, for example, let's say you want to make improvements to your HRIS. Um, you know, your best bet there is probably to go to your case management and identify, you know, features that should be updated and then add it to your technology roadmap. You don't need to do a whole design thinking project from discovery through ideation to prototyping and testing around it. Now, you might want to prototype and test some new features, but you can probably skip the big discovery and ideation work. So that's sort of how I'm starting to think through it. Now, an example of where it would apply is like hybrid work or future work. There's no playbook, big space. We want to get input from employees. Nobody has the answers. You know, design thinking is a great candidate for that. So um, those are just some criteria that I started sort of playing with. Um, there's no right or wrong answers, I think, <laughs> actually. But so, you know. Maybe it can help a little bit here. Uh, so let's say, so pitfalls. I think we covered pitfalls unless there's some, um, nope, we don't have any questions on pitfalls right now. So let's move into predictions, right? So it's January, 2022, time for predictions. And so let me start with some, what some of our um, industry analysts are saying about the design thinking in HR space. And then I'm gonna let you react to that. So Gartner names organizational design, change management, and the future of work as two of the top five priorities for HR in 2022. And Josh Bursch, Josh, I can't even say his name anymore. Josh Burson states in his HR predictions for 2022 that, quote, among all the changes coming in 2022 and beyond, the biggest of all is that HR itself is now a design profession in which every HR professional is being asked to consult, design, listen, and adapt, unquote. What is your take on these predictions and or what would you add? Yes, Steph. So I, to me, is it a prediction? Because shouldn't we have already been doing that? That's, uh, you know, when I look at it, it, it kind of made me laugh. I'm like, I'm not in HR technically. Like I'm an, I lead our culture team. We're part of, but we, we do have an HR department, you know, that we kind of liaison. And I have seen that department use design thinking for the first time. It's been fun and fascinating to be part of it with them and just seeing them kind of uh, like spark curiosity a little bit. And then mm -hmm. like, wow, why haven't we been using this for a long time? And I, that, so that piece to me is hopeful that you can try to use this if you've never used it before. But I also think the part about um, like consulting and listening, um, to me, that's a little bit of my org effectiveness background. So it's embedded in like who I am. And I feel like for anybody that's on this call, it's probably natural to you but to others, that may not be the case. And so it's how do you take a step back um, and reflect like, do I have these right skills to get us to the future? And if I don't, what do I need to do as a professional to evolve so that I can help my organization evolve? So what you're saying is you would add to this list because this, is, this list is so 2020, 
or 2019. <laughs> Let's call up Josh and tell him that. Um, and you would add ref becoming more reflective as an HR practitioner. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, because yeah. if we're always just moving and moving and like, what do I have to do? What's the task? What What is being handed to me? But you don't take a step back and look at like, we are people too. This is happening to us too. How do I feel? What do I like? Is this still okay with me? Am I in the right career? Do am I am I doing the right things for my people? Mm -hmm. But we don't even give our space like focus time. This is just for you. If mm -hmm. you don't dedicate that time, and if it's your weekend, that's great. Mm -hmm. How do you carve out time for yourself? Because we're always helping everyone else. Like I think that's the challenge that I also see with our team is we're in service of others, like our customers. But who services us? Yep, we and always I, put I, the I, oxygen mask right? on ourselves last. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. I see my teammate on this team, and mm -hmm. she knows we've talked about. I was like, mm -hmm. and I've been in this role for five years, and we've serviced others. And sometimes it's like we need help too. Mm -hmm. Alice, what are your reactions to those predictions? Uh, yeah, I mean, spot on. I think it, uh, <laughs> I, I I have um. I have a lot of um, HR peer groups that I meet with on a regular basis, and I've never seen burnout like I've seen it in the last year yeah. or two. Um, yeah. And there is, um, you know, I've, I, the, all the research and conversation around like the great resignation, right? And just talking mm -hmm. through, it's really not about money and opportunity. It's about people just not having the ability anymore, or the patience anymore to go against what they personally need so much of. So I think that certainly resonates with HR professionals. I think it's a, a, a good evolution of people and how they're, they're reflecting. Um, and I think the other thing that came to mind for me in the predictions, um, if, if you're not there yet and you're moving towards that, place of um, org effectiveness and, and getting feedback and that uh, there's also to go back to, you know, meet them where they are, there's change management for some organizations that need to do that and hmm. educating employees on how to give feedback and what productive feedback looks like versus if you just kind of put it out there and it all comes back and it's all critical and then, then we're not taking care of ourselves. So there's certainly like ways to get to that. And I just want to say that out loud because it's not a quick send out a survey and get results. There's a whole change evolution to turning an organization into one of feedback and um, thoughtfulness around those things. But yeah, reflection, I'm all about that for the prediction because I think it's healthy and it just continuous improvement, but at a pace that's realistic. Um, is certainly on my mind these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Angela, curious to hear your prediction. Prediction. <laughs> okay. Well, y'all are going to be mad at me about my predictions. So. <laughs> no, there's no mad. <laughs> okay. So I, I have some, um, I have some interesting thoughts around HR as a whole. Uh, uh -huh. You know, I believe that design thinking. Um, change management, employee experience. I don't know about 2023, but in the near future, I feel like what we should be doing as an HR community is instilling that capability and baking it into the organization. So we work ourselves out of a job. So that is my prediction, is that chief people officers, uh, heads of HR, we're gonna work ourselves out of a job because we've done such a good job 
at building it into the fabric of the organization. And then all of us can just like go fractional and take a vacation. Go to the beach? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's my prediction. Yeah. You heard it here. <laughs> Love it. I mean, that I'm is... In. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think that's a that's a very interesting future stage, um, state. The question is, how are we going to get there? Because we know organizations are not there, for the most part, right? So it's kind of the mapping out the path to the beach. <laughs> yeah, <Love> but <laughs> the but the intent behind it, I don't. Then realistically, yep. are we ever going to work ourselves out of a job? Probably not. No. But the intent behind that that. Mm-hmm. Philosophy has to be there. We we cannot mm-hmm. be the keepers of culture. We cannot mm-hmm. be the keepers of yep. employee experience. We have to yep. start instilling this into the um, the fabric of the the, the leaders and, and and the organization as a whole. Yeah, no, I agree. Like when we say it's everybody's job to recruit, right? It's not just the TA department who recruits. It's the managers. It's every employee who is an ambassador. It's everybody's job. Sort of that that sentiment. Um, I think we can all agree to that. And, and I agree there will still be work and, or maybe it's not the beach, but maybe it is as the, you know, chief human experience officer or some, right, evolution of what we're doing now that focuses much more on the holistic human, including customer employees and community experience, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very forward looking. I think that that's an interesting prediction to play with, for sure. And so we're going to jump into audience questions now. So if you have any questions for the panel, please put them in the chat. Um, why don't I get started with there were some additional questions that were submitted to get us warmed up here um, and see where that takes us. Let's see. Um, one person asked, how can we influence the discovery process to be more empathy immersed without ignoring data collection? Any thoughts on that one? Well, I think, you know, I kind of think what I thought about when you asked that question was like qualitative versus quantitative data, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Quantitative data gets us the numbers, the graphs, you know, the, the big patterns, the big themes. Uh-huh. You know, my, my kind of rule of thumb has always been you need the data and you need to be able to talk to humans <laughs> to give uh-huh. color to the data. So uh-huh. I think doing the qualitative interviewing, having human connections and conversations and building relationships along with the data Uh, My favorite thing to do is always show a graph and then like an actual quote, (laughs) because then you get to the empathy and the actual human experience and you're showing the overwhelmingly, you know, uh, whatever the the data is saying, kind of where the masses are going. Yeah, and I always like to say the data or the quantitative data is the what, and then the qualitative research from design thinking discovery shows us the why. Why? Because a lot of the, even the engagement survey, right, even with the quotes that are in there, really just gives us the what. There's still so many questions that one has when one reads through that, <laughs> right? And you can only get to the why behind those answers um, by conducting, you know, uh, empathy interviews. Yeah. Alice, did you unmike? Did you have any additional thoughts? I do not, but I totally agree with that. <laughs> 
or a it's thought always a combination. Like, yep. Yep, it's yep. Like you put something in front of them and they're like, well, what's mm-hmm. the pulse? And you're like, I'm ready. Yeah. Pulse. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then to Angela's point, sort of presented as a, as a unified story, right? So this is, this is what we heard and this is, you know, this supports the story and these are all the data points that support what we heard or support this key insight, things like that. And that can be a combination of, um, I actually like to combine internal quantitative data with design thinking research, qualitative quotes with scholarly research, GASP. I know we, we don't do that enough, I think, in HR. How can we pull in behavioral economics research, the latest on motivational theory and things like that? And then benchmark. But, you know, I would say benchmark always use carefully, right? But then if you have all these different data sources, it can give you a much more holistic insight into what's going on. All right. So we have another question that got submitted because I don't see anything in the chat live. Everybody is satisfied with the questions that we asked here today, it seems like. So let's go to a previous one that was submitted. And this person asks, how do the practitioners on the panel integrate design thinking into HR initiatives that are using change and or project management methods? Any thoughts on that? Or I would say um, any think- other methods, right? Any other, there's so many methods and frameworks, right? So how, how do you integrate it design thinking with other methods that you use. Yeah, Alice? Yeah, I, I was, I was going to answer it from the project management perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the spreadsheet I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. my you know Bible of employee experience spreadsheet, um, that turns into our project management. You know, that's, that's where we go with that. So mm. we look at it on the whole, um, on a regular basis, try to do like a SWOT analysis. So what's working, what's not working, what's missing, what's the feedback you have, you kind of have that checkpoint with yourself. And then that gives us, okay, now here's what's, here's what's next on, on this quarter or the next half of the year. And that turns into our project management dashboard from there. Um, but it's a good place to kind of always come back to, to anchor yourself on why are we doing these things? And is it still working? And if not, get rid of it. And if something's missing, do you know, change it. But, um, but it, yeah, it, it, it educates us on what the project management needs to look like. Um, and that's kind of the flow that we use on the, on the day to day, you know, quarter to quarter. <laughs> I love that. Best? <laughs> that you use the same sort of framework to guide you from discovery through then execution. So that's a really, mm-hmm. really cool tool. So listen to the episode with Alice, where she explains in detail how to use that approach for HR strategy design and so forth. We have a question in the chat. This will be our last question, if I look at the clock, from Ashley. So first of all, Ashley says she wants to work with all of us because we speak her language. Thank you, Ashley. <laughs> that's really nice. Um, But the question she has is, when you are at an org that doesn't get it, meaning employee experience or design thinking or designing for the future work, what is one thing you would start with to change the tide? Alice. Uh, I I, I don't need to answer again. um, That's okay. I... um, I would recommend the good old Venn diagram of 
things that you can't control, things you can control, what's in the middle. And maybe I'm not saying that correctly. Anyway, I think uh, the conscious evaluation of if there are things that you can control and change, certainly spend your energy there. Um, if there are not, just really um, have that kind of recognition and, and, and conscious dialogue with yourself and, uh, and only focus on those things that, that are worth your energy. Otherwise, it can become a really exhausting process. And um, unknown what's at the end of that, it might be that that's not the right place for you. It might be that you can make impact and then that's wonderful. But I always have that kind of recommendation of be really real with what is worth your energy and control in your within your control of change or sphere of change um, and what's not and having that, you know, uh, list put together. And I think these are really wise words to close us out because they also kind of harken back to the topic of burnout in HR and then we need to put the oxygen mass on ourselves first, right? So it kind of brings us full circle. So with that, thank you so much, ladies, for all your brilliance and thanks everybody for joining and see you at a future talent